Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National, presented by Alison Balance and Veronica Maduna. Let's start with a bad fish. Pestfish are a significant problem in the Waikato's rivers and lakes. They stir up sediment on the lake floors, compete with native fish, and are all round bad news. But Bruno David from the Waikato Regional Council has come up with a solution that creates environmental benefits from nuisance fish, especially koi carp. He calls the scheme carbon neutral, and Alison heads to a murky looking Lake Waikare to see carbon neutral in action. Lake Waikere is quite a large expanse of water, but it's also really shallow. So it's around about two metres deep at its deepest, pretty consistent. And so because it's such a big area, it's affected by a lot of wind. And so a lot of the sediments get resuspended into the water column, which is given it its colour. And other than that, what kind of state is it in? It's certainly very nutrient-enriched, and it has been for quite a long time. Uh, one of the reasons we've got uh, a carp trap here on this uh, fish pa- pass is to try and address one of those components, which is resuspension of sediment by carp as well. Koi carp? Yep, mainly koi carp, uh, but we also have other invasive fish come through here, like brown bullhead catfish, which is a, a North American invader, if you like, and they don't really resuspend the water column so much, but they compete with eels primarily for, for food, so they're more omnivorous, if you like. So they're all pest species and you're trying to get rid of them? Yep, that's right. So they're all pest species coming in here and we're mainly trying to control the sub-adult to adult fish which are producing most of the next generation. Over here we've got a, a, a carp cage, which is an, it's an automated structure that was originally designed by the South Australian Research and Development Institute. That design was uh, brought over here and then modified for New Zealand conditions. So what we've done is we've measured the sizes of all the native fish coming up through this pass and we've optimised the meshes on these cages so that all the native fish can go through unimpeded but it just retains the smallest invasive that we can whilst letting all of the native fish through. What kind of native fish do you get going through here? The main native fish that we have coming up through here are, um, during the migration season, uh, which is starting around now, we have things like banded cockapoo, common bullies, uh, we have smelt, um, inanga. We occasionally have picked up the odd giant cockapoo coming through here as well. The main species, though, that are funnelling through in most numbers are short-finned eels. So you said that's just coming into peak migration season for the native fish. What about the carp? So those fish are coming up to lay their eggs in the lake and then those larvae will then get born in the lake and then they'll either distribute throughout the river networks or throughout the lake. It's the adult migration for carp that's happening at the moment. Yeah. How did the carp end up in here? Were they deliberately introduced? The story goes that there was a consignment of goldfish that came into New Zealand in around the 1960s to the Waikato uh, and in amongst those goldfish were koi carp um, but they all looked like goldfish at the time so they're all about the same size and when they're really small and ornamental coloured they do kind of look very similar but there were obviously some koi carp in amongst that lot really took until the late 70s before people started to notice them being around and by the 
early 80s, they really started to flourish, and now they're just rampant throughout the, the Waikato system, really, and, and all of the interconnected and associated wetlands. So give me a quick tour of the premises before you're about to do something with the fish trap, I realise, but just before we get there, yeah, show me around. OK, all right, so we'll go in here first. So this is into the container? Yeah, into the <laughs> container here. So um, this is a storage container that we have for the product that we're generating from the digester, which is the other container over here behind you. In these bags here, we have uh, a bunch of pelletised carp, which has gone through a thermophilic digestion process. So effectively what happens is the fish get caught in the cage, um, we spill them onto a ramp, they're euthanised, they go into a large digestion bowl, and in there there's a, a bacteria called Bacillus subtilis. And what it does is it likes to eat protein and it likes to generate heat. So when the fish go in there, um, it literally starts to digest them. And all we need to do for those bacteria is provide them with air. So they're aerobic. And it generally takes, if you've got a good stock of fish in there, around about 48 to 72 hours to break down three or four tonnes of fish into a dry, granular fish meal, if you like, like a blood and bone. So what you're really doing here is trying to make good from these otherwise bad fish. Yeah, these fish are, are providing an environmental service for us, if you like. So even though they're invasive, the way in which they feed, which is um, they suck through the sediments, and as they suck through the sediments, they sort things around in their mouth, and they what they don't like, they discard through the back of the gills, and that's what causes a lot of that turbidity. We're in a very nutrient-rich landscape here in the Waikato, and so as they do that, a lot of their body mass, if you like, the flesh, incorporates a lot of the nutrients that they're actually getting from, from the sediments, effectively. So these fish are very high in um, potassium and phosphorus um, and nitrogen. And so by processing them, um, effectively what we're doing is we're recycling um, a whole lot of nutrient. And phosphates, in particular, are actually in very short supply at the moment. So um, recycled phosphates, which is a very, uh, shall we say... Uh, a moralistic way of kind of recycling phosphorus rather than, say, mining a seamount or something from an invasive organism is a really good way to reutilise, I guess, the service that they're providing for us. So sort of like to think about this in terms of energy and how energy moves through systems. So we're capturing energy from a, an environment that's already in excess and then what we're trying to do with that energy is convert it into um, a product that we can then put that energy into a place, not where it's in excess, but where it's actually needed, or to use the product in, a, in an appropriate way that is, I guess, consistent with a more sustainable philosophy of, of land use management. Uh, at the moment, we're looking for organic certification around this. Um, but we're also trying to incorporate things like biochar into this. So, Okay, so you've got some yeah, big so wheelie bins full of... It's actually charcoal, isn't it? Charcoal, yeah. And this is actually charcoal from corn. So oh, you can see it looks like a piece of corn. <laughs> yeah, so from... And, and these are um, basically the seed that they make the maize crop from, and, and uh, this is effectively a non-utilised source of carbon, if you like, that has the potential to provide a lot of benefits for us uh, if we mix it in with the carp. On one hand, it has the potential to reduce the aroma of the carp, which has a very sort of blood and bone type of smell to it. And the other thing is that it has the potential to bind some of the nitrogen that normally we might lose as ammonia and also provide the in important scaffolding for microbes in the soil to improve uptake by plants. So 
we could do this with trees as well. So rather than burning them and losing carbon in the atmosphere, we're actually repositioning that energy for long-term storage within a nutrient, which provides sort of a, I guess, a, almost like a slow-release type of fertiliser for, for plants. Where does all of that come from? Is this from the Waikato as well, your biochar? Yeah, so this, this particular biochar is. We are looking at maybe trying to get some of the willows, which are an invasive tree, obviously, along most uh, many of our rivers, our integrated catchment management guys at the, at the Waikato Regional Council um, undertake uh, river management and in, in many places they will remove willows and try to replace those with natives. But historically we, we would burn those willows. But there's a really good opportunity to pyrolyse that willow and actually turn it into biochar or charcoal and incorporate that into initiatives like this so that we're not losing that carbon to the atmosphere. Can you use it for replanting operations, for instance? We've already got about f four trial sites running at the moment, which are dune restoration sites. Now, the concept behind that is that historically dune systems used to be fueled by marine birds. So marine birds would forage out the in the ocean, they'd bring fish back to the nest, and when they would defecate over the nest, the nutrients, like the nitrogen from the fish that they're regurgitating and the, the young are kind of defecating into the dunes, would help to fuel the growth of dune plants like pingao and these sorts, of, these sorts of plants. Today, of course, with many predators around, our seabird numbers have declined massively. And so when dune restoration projects are undertaken, they tend to use fertiliser tablets, which are typically made of synthesised nitrogen and mined phosphorus, and there's a, obviously a cost associated with those tablets. I think it's about 10 cents a tablet. Uh, and so I guess what we're trying to do is replace that tablet by using an invasive organism to fulfil that role and using a recycled nutrient rather than one that was either mined or synthesised. What a great concept. And what's in these bins behind us? This is the seed, um, which has a lot of the bacteria in it. So when you get the digest going, it's a little bit like brewing beer. So um, this bin here, if you like, is the yeast that we add to the grain. Um, and, and the spores of that bacteria can sit in here dormant anaerobically in this big bin here. And then when we throw it in the bin with some fresh protein and some air, it kicks off into life again. So we always keep a few bins back to reseed the next batch. And that's what this bin here is. It's and a that... bit like making ginger beer. It's the ginger beer bug that you, you use <laughs> for the next bit. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Same, same sort of concept. So what we're about to do now is spill the fish that have come up the pass and got trapped over the last few days in the cage and then we will um, euthanise those, put them in the bins and then probably in about a month or two we'll start a big digest. Okay, so let's come and see that. So there's just a hoist pulling up a big cage at the moment, is that what's going on behind us? Yeah, that's right. Oh, and the fish are coming down the chute. Some of those are really big, aren't they? Yeah, so here's a, this is a large female. This one fish here could potentially produce 400,000 eggs, one single fish. So we've literally prevented, you know, near on half a million larvae just with that one fish. So if you have a little look at the mouth here, these fish are, uh, have these little these little feelers on the side. And so what they do is they fossick around, they use this, these big juju like lips. Vacuum cleaner. Yeah, basically they're aquatic vacuum cleaners, that's right. And they, they use these little barbels here to kind of feel for little organisms and things down in the sediments. So that big chunky fish, definitely gold, gold like a goldfish. How long is that one you've got 
That yeah, one, do you reckon? That's probably around sort of, I'd say, just over maybe just over half a metre in length, close to 60. And, and this, you've got a few other fish yep, in there as well. So yep. Those catfish. Yeah, so this one here is the brown bullhead catfish. These are very nasty little critters. If you, you've got their spine there, a spine there, and they've got one up on the top there. So what they do is they effectively stick those out, and it makes it very difficult for any other fish to try and eat them. It's like trying to eat a piece of barbed wire or something. So... Um, this is a juvenile koi carp. It's, it's quite easy to mix up the goldfish and the small koi, um, but the main difference is that the koi carp have these um, paired barbels that come down the side, whereas the, the, uh, the goldfish don't have that. So the fish are euthanised, and then they're layered into the bins, that's right. and that's some of that this is the seed? ginger beer bug The ginger beer bug. <laughs> that's going right. in on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's just basically going to hold them nice and stable, until um, we're ready to do a, a full digestion. All right, so um, let's go have a quick look over here. So this is the mega digester this is the container. Mega, mega digester, and so effectively what we have in front of us here is a is a like a big mixing bowl, if you like. And so those fish go down through into an auger, and it feeds them into this big bowl here, and then they go in with that seed, and then. What happens is this bowl slowly rotates around. The air comes funneling through the pipe up the top here, which comes into the chamber. And as that rotates around, uh, the fish start getting processed by the bacteria. After about 48, 72 hours or so, we will hook up this screen and um, emptying auger here. And then we'll take that material out. And then we'll either take that off to get palletized, which is just under pressure, or we can just use it just as a straight kind of um, almost like a, a granular kind of well we call it cappuccino because <laughs> it looks like coffee grounds and we can just you can just use it like that as well so the only other thing that we get off this which we can use is um, what's called a condensate that stuff's very very strong um, and you have to dilute it down to about five percent if you want to use it on your garden or whatever so one of the things that we've been trying to explore is the possibility of using that uh, condensate and rendering it down and seeing if we can use it as a lure for stoats. Um, we've used the pellets um, to control rats before and it seems to work quite well because it's got a very fishy smell so concept of using an invasive to control another invasive so <laughs> it's uh, trying to gain, gain rather than just hold the fort if you like, trying to make a few wins like that. So all of these outputs are really designed around trying to have a positive environmental outcome at the other end. Is this as big as it's going to get? What we've got here is basically a demonstration site. It's a, it's a prototype site. Carp, are, uh, it's virtually impossible to eradicate them from the Waikato system with the tools we have at the moment. So that means um, being strategic about where we do the work. So we've identified a few very key areas where there's other activities going on. And if we expanded to those other areas, and we produce these types of products that go to other environmental initiatives and can generate a funding stream for that. The idea is to have a self-supporting invasive species program um, with all those outputs going to those positive things. That was Bruno David from the Waikato Regional Council. That's all for now, but you can stay in touch with us on Twitter at RNZ underscore science. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.